All right, good evening. Good to see you here. You glad you're here tonight? I am too, man. Wouldn't really be anywhere else tonight. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight, to lift up prayer and praise to you, to spend time in your word, growing together. Thank you, Father, for the people who are here. I pray for the ones who are not here tonight and ask your blessings on them. But bless this time, Father, as we open your word, help it to come alive to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how's your week going? My week's going, my week's going good. It's going good. We had a good day Sunday, didn't we? Good, good service, uh, good attendance. It's like our worship attendance is like it's just edging up, not dramatically, but, but gradually. Like we're seeing a few more people every week, and that's, uh, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Even seeing visitors, which is pretty amazing during a time like this. But uh, God's good. God's good. And we're going to keep pressing ahead and uh, uh, we're going to seek God's direction and His timing and doing things. But uh, just to keep our staff in your prayer. We had a staff meeting a little while ago and it's talking about stuff. And so uh, just keep praying for your staff uh, during this time. All right, uh, in the book of Isaiah. We've been in the book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights. And what I'm going to do tonight sort of fast forward to chapter 36 and 37 tonight. Uh, coming, moving through the judgment on the nations, that's the section we talked about last week, talks about God's judgment upon the nations, but also his deliverance for his people. Those chapters talk about that. But you come in 37 through 39, and this is a, what you call a historical interlude. This is historical narrative here, historical events. And I find this kind of stuff really fascinating. These are events that took place during the reign of King Hezekiah. You know, Isaiah's ministry spanned the reign of several kings, and Hezekiah was one of the righteous kings that the southern kingdom had. Northern kingdom of Israel had no righteous kings at all, and they fell before the southern kingdom did. One of the reasons the southern kingdom endured longer is because they did have some righteous kings, and Hezekiah was one of them. Now, the, this section we'll look at tonight, 36 and 37, it parallels uh, 2 Kings chapter 18 through chapter 20. You can read over there in Kings, and it's almost like you're reading this passage here, this section here. Somewhat almost word for word, but it does parallel uh, that, that same time period. So there's a lot of overlap in the Old Testament, the chronology here. So what this section does is it bridges the, the Assyrian period to the Babylonian period. There was a time when uh, God's people, the southern kingdom, were threatened by the Assyrians. And we're going to see actually that come to a close in the verse, in the verse that we'll look at tonight. Then there's the Babylonian period. They're threatened next by, by Babylon. So what I'm going to do tonight is just summarize chapter 36. And then I'm going to read some selected verses from chapter 37. And I think you'll find this interesting tonight. I know I always enjoy historical narrative parts of the, of the scripture. But let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're surrounded? You ever feel surround, surrounded? <laughs> enemies all around you on every side? All types of enemies, all types of pressures, life closing in on you, and you wonder if you're going to make it? Every one of us feels that. Some of you feel that right now tonight, don't you? Well, good news for you. There's a word of encouragement here in, in this passage that you'll look at tonight. God is with you. God is with you. This examines a time when the Israelites were surrounded 
not just by some circumstances of life, but by enemies that wanted to kill him. The Assyrians. The Assyrians. Now Isaiah's whole time period, his whole ministry was a time of crisis. They were in crisis the whole time. It was a time of, of deterioration inside and also pressure from the outside, enemies surrounding them from the outside. Our nation right now is in a crisis period, isn't it? Uh, mostly it's, it's just deterioration from within, isn't it? That's really what's happening to us. It's just amazing. It's amazing how fast things can go downhill too, isn't it? We see this happen in the Bible sometimes, and even just looking at events today, it's amazing how fast we can go downhill when we have departed uh, away from God. So, there's a threat from Assyria, which was the big dog on the block at that time. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom had fallen to Assyria, and at that time, the southern kingdom, Judah, became something like a vassal state to Assyria. They had to pay tribute to them, you know, uh, protection money, you might say, uh, uh, something like that. They had to pay tribute to them. And so, 715 B.C., this is when Hezekiah comes to the throne. And Hezekiah is a righteous king. He starts some reform. He begins to try to move the people back to God, one of the godly kings. Then a new Assyrian king appeared on the scene. Sennacherib was his name. Sennacherib became king of Assyria. And at that time, he faced a lot of problems on the home front and also uh, over in Palestine. Uh, people were in rebellion. And so Hezekiah sees this as maybe an opportunity to throw off the Assyrian yoke. They had been conquered by Assyria, but they were, they were having to pay tribute to them. They were sort of under their thumb in a way. And so he sees an opportunity to maybe revolt and stop paying tribute and he calls on Egypt for help. So in 701 B.C., the Assyrian army comes and they overrun the whole area, they're occupying the whole area except for Judah, and except for uh, Jerusalem. And it's interesting, in the historical records, the Assyrian records, uh, Sennacherib the king records cities that he conquered. He'll go, I conquered this city, I conquered that city. And he talks about Hezekiah in there. The, the king of Judah. He said, Hezekiah himself, I had him shut up like a bird in a cage. But he never says, he never records that he conquered Jerusalem. Because he didn't. And we'll see uh, in the chapter tonight, we'll see uh, how that came about. But he does record something about Hezekiah, but he doesn't specifically say that he conquered Jerusalem because he didn't. So, uh, he camps uh, some distance out and sends one of his representatives in to talk to the people of, uh, of uh, Judah, try to convince them, coax them into surrendering. And back then, it was very common to, uh, uh, to use uh, taunts, you know. You'd ridicule your enemy, you'd taunt them, you'd try to, to, you know, psychological warfare, insult them, this type thing. And so a messenger comes from the Assyrian king to meet with Hezekiah's messengers. He starts telling them all the reasons why they really ought to go ahead and surrender. He says, first of all, you can't rely on Egypt. Egypt's no good. And all this is in chapter 36. You want to go back later tonight and read chapter 36. He says, first of all, uh, Egypt is no help. They won't help you. Secondly, your religious faith is no good. Your faith is no good. Thirdly, he points out how meager their forces are compared to the Assyrians. He said, look, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. Ha ha. So it's just a taunting kind of thing. Then he tells him, Hezekiah, your king has misled you. You're in this mess because of Hezekiah. He's your problem. Nobody has successfully 
resisted us. Look at what we have done to the other nations around, how we had conquered them. And Assyria had done that. They had just obliterated everybody around them. Uh, I think of them as the Nazi Germany of the ancient world. They were, they were just swallowing up nations all around them. So nobody had resisted them. And so they say, what makes you think you can do any better? So, do you ever feel surrounded? Like the world is just taunting you, you know, insulting you. You feel like a bird in a cage, caged up with everything surrounding you. Now, you know, sometimes our circumstances, you know, we bring about because of our own sin. But uh, what I'm really talking about here is just when circumstances of life are closing in on you. There's stuff happens in life. Life just happens, doesn't it? Things sometimes we have no control over. And what you discover during those times when you get down is that the, the devil fights dirty, doesn't he? He's not a clean fighter. Uh, he used psychological warfare, just like the Assyrians were trying to do to the people of Judah. And he'll tell you things like, your faith is no good. Huh, you call yourself a Christian? Why is this happening to you then? Now, the devil will taunt you with all sorts of things like that. Well, what did King Hezekiah do in this situation? And what should we do? What should we do? This is where I want to look at chapter 37, just some selected verses from 37. What I've told you so far is just a summary of chapter 36. But chapter 37, when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household with Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priest covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. He said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, rebuke, rejection, for children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver them. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, his king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore offer a prayer for the remnant that is left, so the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. So, Isaiah grieves. He tears his clothes. Then he sends for the prophet Isaiah. And he asks Isaiah to pray. He says, perhaps God will deliver us. He doesn't mean that, that God's incapable of doing it, but he says, you know, we don't even deserve it. But perhaps God will deliver us. And so, Isaiah gives him some preliminary assurance in verses 6 and 7. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Isaiah has already been praying about the situation. And God's already given him an answer. And so Isaiah comes to the king with the, with the thus saith the Lord answer. First thing is that the king needs is courage. Take courage. How often are we told that in the Bible? He says, God will call Sennacherib to hear a rumor and return home. It could have been uh, you know, maybe trouble at home or maybe an approaching army coming to, to meet him. Something will cause him to withdraw. So right up front, Isaiah gives Hezekiah the assurance, hey, everything's cool. Don't worry about it. God's got this thing. We need to hear that, don't we? No matter what is going on, God's got this thing for us as believers. 
That, that is always the case. That's always the case. Everything will be okay. Then the verses that follow, a letter comes to King Hezekiah from the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, with further threats. So there have been verbal threats. Now there comes a threatening letter. You ever gotten threatening letters? <laughs> Every pastor's gotten them. <laughs> uh, yeah, boy, that'll unnerve you, won't it? So a threatening letter comes to threatening more things. And he says in the letter, don't let your God deceive you. It's hopeless. See what's happened to other countries? Same thing will happen to you. So what does Hezekiah do with the letter? Look down at verse 14 and 15. Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. He takes that letter and spreads it out before God. That's the right thing to do. He didn't read that thing and read it over and over and over and over and brood over it and let it, let it eat at him. He just took it to God. He just took it and spread it out before the Lord. And he prays. And he prays. And before he had asked Isaiah to intercede, now he's praying himself. And maybe God was waiting for Hezekiah to come to this point of just brokenness, of total brokenness. And look at the verses that follow, 16 through 20. And here's what Hezekiah prays. Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries in their lands. And they cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they destroyed them. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from the hand of all the kingdoms of the earth, uh, that, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. There's a recognition that here that God is the absolute ruler of the universe. That's a theme through all this book of Isaiah. So, as uh, Hezekiah prays, he said, Lord, look at all the terrible things this man's saying about you. That this heathen king, were utterly helpless and defenseless. And they have destroyed all those other nations, destroyed their gods, but, but those were false gods. But you're the true God, and so defend your name. Not for our sake, but, but for your sake, so that all the earth will know that you really are God. That's his prayer. That's his prayer. A prayer of, of just absolute brokenness, when you've got nowhere else to, to turn. Uh, before God can, can really, truly move in your life, he waits for you to come to that point. That point of total brokenness. What does the Sermon on the Mount say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit means to be spiritually bankrupt. To mean that you have nothing to bring to God. You cannot save yourself. You have no good works. You have nothing you could present to God. That's what Hezekiah does here. He says, Lord, we don't have anything to present to you. You're going to have to defend your name, Father. Not, not for our sake, but for your sake, so that all the world is going to know that you really are God. Now, verse 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is what the, the Lord 
has spoken against him. And then he goes on from there in verse 22 through 29. And it talks there about, this is the word that, that God has spoken against the king of Assyria. Because Assyrian pride had uh, just reached its limits. And now they're going to be humbled. God will totally cut them off. God's going to cut them off. Then you come down to verse 30. Isaiah continues to tell Hezekiah what's going to happen. This will be the sign for you. You'll eat this year what grows of itself, and the second year what springs from the same, and the third year sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will accomplish this. Therefore, the Lord said concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. Now, verse 30 through 32 there about the agriculture, his point there is is that by the third year, agriculture is going to return to normal. Now, when invading armies, when they would come in, ravage an area, they would would just ravage the crops, ravage the fields and, and everything. And so uh, by the third year, though, everything will be back to normal. He says, you'll take root downward and bear fruit upward. In other words, stability is going to return. Then he gives them that great promise in verse 33, that he won't come to this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, by the same he will return. He will not come to this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. He is going to protect the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Most Old Testament scholars believe that this incident here is the historical background of Psalm 46. Psalm 46. You familiar with that? You are, whether you know it or not. You're very familiar with it. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake in its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God's in the midst of her, she will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. You know, these Psalms, they weren't just written... In a vacuum, there was some background that caused them to be written. And most scholars believe that uh, this incident in uh, Isaiah 36 and 37 is what led to the writing of Psalm 46. And it's very fitting, uh, very uh, appropriate. Now, if you look a little bit ahead, coming back to chapter 37, verse 36, the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. 
Now, in verse 7, he had said he would hear a rumor and return home. But it's really not a contradiction. There really could have been two reasons why he, why he withdrew. He, would have, he could have heard a rumor about something that would have caused him to withdraw. But then also, losing 185,000 of your soldiers is probably a pretty good reason to withdraw, isn't it? When the angel of the Lord just slays that many of them, that's a, that's a pretty good reason to uh, withdraw. There are actually some historical accounts. Uh, Herodotus, who was a Greek historian, writes something about this incident, about something unusual happening to the Assyrian army. He records they were overrun by mice. So anyway, there is actually some corroboration historically uh, to that happening. So, verse 38 ties us all together. Sennacherib goes back home to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. It came about that as he worshipped in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adramelech and Sherezer his sons killed him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon his son became king in his place. Actually, this took place some 20 years later. It didn't happen immediately when he got home. Actually, it was about 20 years later when he was assassinated by two of his sons, and a third son succeeded him. But during that time period uh, when he returned to Nineveh, he never ventured into Palestine again. I don't blame him. I wouldn't have either. I wouldn't have either. So this right here pretty much ends the, the Assyrian threat to the southern kingdom. Next is going to be Babylon. Next is going to be Babylon. They're the next. Assyria is fading from the scene. Now Babylon will be the next big dog in the block. And that's just the way it was. One nation would fall, another one would rise, and then that one would fall, and then another one would rise in their place. It just, uh, that's just the way it was. So, just a simple question. What do you do when you're surrounded? You look at this story. What do you do? What should you do when you're surrounded? Bring it to the Lord. <laughs> you just bring it to God. Because sometimes you, you have no resources to deal with it. Run to God, yeah. Run to God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we just have no resources. Sometimes prayer is just a last resort. It ought to be our first resort. Sometimes that, that's just what we do when, when we're totally panicked, right? <laughs> we, well, all else fails, pray. No, that ought to be our first response. That ought to be our first response to a problem or a crisis. And uh, Hezekiah is a good model here because uh, that's what he does with all these threats. He just simply goes and uh, prays before God and says, God, look at this. You know, we, we can't deal with this. We have no resources to deal with this situation. Uh, there's so many times in the, in the Scripture when God's people were just at wit's end. And many times in life we come to that point, don't we? We get at wit's end. And so we just simply have to bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the Lord. That's just one point sermon tonight. One point message. It's that simple. That's simple. Just go to God with it. Go to God with it, with it all. Uh, because you can't deal with it yourself. You can't deal with it yourself. Now, we'll, uh, next uh, week we'll look at 38 and then uh, 39. These two chapters here uh, will tell us uh, about Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah falls ill. And he prays to God and God graciously extends his life. And then we also find about uh, their first contact with Babylon. Babylon is the new big dog in the block. They have their first contact with Babylon, and Isaiah will make a prediction, a prophecy about Babylonian captivity. God's people are going to go into captivity 
uh, in Babylon. So, interesting section here. I love the, the historical narratives here. So, we'll pick it up here next week and look at uh, chapter 38. Whew. Got some comments? Was able to what? Right, yeah, he's just, uh, he was just uh, in the, uh, let's look back and see exactly what it says. Just says he uh, took the letter in verse 14, spread it out before the Lord. He is just in the, in the temple, but you know, he, was not, he was not the high priest. He was not the high priest. In fact, there's one of the kings that's, that's talked about this in the Chronicles. Uh, king Uzziah uh, actually tried to take upon himself the role of priest, and he was struck with leprosy. I forget what chapter that's in, but it's over in Second Chronicles. But yeah, he's just, uh, he's there, he's not uh, taking on the role of priest, but he's just there in the temple praying. But it's interesting to turn over, I, I told you that the parallels uh, 2 Kings uh, 18 through 20. You can turn over there and read those chapters, read the parallel account, and it, it's just almost word for word in places. So it's very interesting to see. And they're not exactly the same, but uh, interesting to read the parallel over there. Okay. Let's spend some time uh, praying tonight. Uh, I got a call from uh, Tim Parker yesterday, and uh, Donna is uh, having some problems uh, with uh, her eyes. She has glaucoma in her eyes. She went today to a doctor, and uh, she's going to be having some other tests run, and uh, they're trying to, to deal with this issue of glaucoma. And so uh, they asked for prayer for that because uh, you know, Donna has uh, several health issues going on. She's got thing with that. Also has a hearing problem. She's almost deaf in one ear. You know, she can't hear very well in one ear at all. So several things going on with Donna. So remember, remember her and Tim in your prayers. All right. Uh, how's Tommy? Is he recovering okay from? All right. Others you want to update us on or prayer request or praises? Yeah, I saw them at the doctor's office the other day. Yeah, I was coming out of the doctor's the building and they were in the car chauffeur. <laughs> yeah, Mega. I talked to Miss Wanda. It was probably been about three weeks ago, and uh, she sends her love to everybody. She really misses everybody here, so uh, we miss her. Yeah, Beatrice. Okay. You remember your family in prayer. You lost your mother. Yeah. Remind you, we still have the box out in the foyer. Uh, we're writing cards of appreciation and support to our sheriff's department, and so stop by and and uh, pick up a handful of them <laughs> and take them home. And <laughs> we need we need uh, just over a hundred, right, Betty? And we have fifty something right now. So uh, you know, let's uh, let, let's do this. Those guys need encouragement. Those people need encouragement. Also, remind you, uh, uh, next Tuesday is going to be a day of prayer. Uh, we did this back in uh, May. National Day of Prayer. We had the church building open all during the day for you to come by and pray. We're going to do the same thing again. Uh, next Tuesday, our men start off at 7 a.m. Our men have a prayer group that always meets, and so we'll start off with that. And then it'll be open all day. Uh, we'll leave it open until about 9 o'clock that night. So come by and, and just spend some time praying for our nation. Uh, we'll have a prayer guide there for you. Uh, pray for our nation. Uh, pray for different needs. We just need to be more and more a people of prayer here at church. We need more experiences of prayer together. So uh, make that a priority to come by and do that. That'd be a good idea, yeah. People told me they're, they're going to take them home, but then 
sometimes they don't ever get them back. You know, but if they're in the classes, that would help. The fellowship hall, you just on the counter too. Uh-huh. Uh, next Tuesday, next Tuesday, yeah. We'll put something in the bulletin Sunday. We'll remind you, put a big reminder about that. But uh, we just really need to be people of prayer. Uh, our nation, man, we need prayer. These are, these are crisis times. Talk about Isaiah living in a crisis time. We are in a crisis times in this nation. And it's not a time to sit back and, and just be idle and, and not involved in the way of prayer. You know, pray for Sunday. We'll be uh, looking at uh, chapter 5 again of 1 Thessalonians and thinking about living in Christian community. What does it really mean to be the body of Christ? That's what we'll be looking at Sunday. All right. I want to invite you to come and join me at the altar if you want to and come down here and let's uh, lift up some of these requests to the Lord. And uh, remember next Tuesday, day of prayer up here. Uh, I'm, going to ask, I'm going to ask Cody, if you will, to start us off in uh, praying today. And uh, Chris, if you continue us after Cody, and anybody else who wants to pray after that, you feel free to lead us in prayer. And I'll close us. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all your, your goodness and your blessings. Lord, as we looked in the Scripture tonight at King Hezekiah and how he just spread the situation out before you, God, and said, Lord, we just don't have the resources to deal with this crisis. And Father, that, that's the way we feel many times. Help us to just humble ourselves and realize that uh, the life situations are beyond us, Father. You have to intervene. You have to step in and strengthen us. And Father, as a church, we cry out to you. We ask you, Lord, for wisdom. We ask for direction during these days of crisis, Lord. Uh, this is beyond us. Father, show us the way. Give us direction. I pray for our country right now, Father. We are so divided. Uh, we, we are so far from you, Father. And God, I pray for our nation. I pray for our leaders. Father, I know you're in control, ultimately, of all things. But, Father, we ask that uh, if we as God's people would always stand faithful, that we would stand up for your word. Father, I pray for special needs mentioned tonight. There's so many of them, Father. I pray for Donna Parker. Ask you to be with her with this a problem with her eyesight. Or that's such a, a very precious gift we have. And so I pray for Donna. She, she goes through this time, Lord. Pray for direction for the doctors. I pray for Dan Waters, Lord. I pray that you open his heart. When only the Holy Spirit can truly open somebody's heart to receive the gospel. I pray you'd use Randy. That you give Randy the wisdom, the insight that he needs. The words that he can say might make a difference. So many other needs mentioned here tonight, Father. I, I pray for Edith's nephew, Lord, and ask you to be with him. Barbara Netherland's uh, son and, and uh, granddaughter, ask that you be with them. With James and Carolyn and their family. But Father, I pray for uh, other needs mentioned here tonight. So many others that we, we can't uh, all call them, call them all to mind, Father, but you heard them all as they were called out. So lift them all up to you. Father, I pray for each Sunday school teacher in our church. I ask for direction and for wisdom, strength for them in the days ahead. I pray for our deacon body. I pray for our church staff. Father, I pray for wisdom for all of us as we seek to lead this church. I pray for Sunday. I pray you prepare us even now for a great day here of worship in your house. Lord, thank you for every person that was here this last Sunday, every person that will be here this coming Sunday. We don't know who will be sitting out here in these pews Sunday, but you already know, Father. So I ask that you prepare their hearts for worship. We'll give you all praise and honor and glory. And we do it in Jesus' name.
Amen. All right, let's stand together and Roger will lead us.